Welcome to another episode of On the Floor with Wayne Highlander and Rob Johnson. I'm Wayne Highlander, National Sales Manager, Bone Adhesives. And I'm Rob Johnson, new lead singer for ACDC. All right. So, Rob, I'm, I'm excited about this episode. I've, uh, I've, I've wanted to uh, do this for a long time, and we have a special guest on with us today. Uh, uh, we have uh, Lenny Hall on from Endurance Hardwood Floors. How you doing, Lenny? How you guys doing? I'm doing good. How's it going, Lenny? It's going good, Rob. Why don't you go ahead and discuss to everybody real quick, Lenny, and tell us uh, how warm it is in Florida on this November day. <laughs> well, today you are finding me driving between the East Coast, the West Coast, and uh, it's 90 degrees outside right now. Oh, boy. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Good for Lenny. <laughs> I was working... I was working in Madison and Milwaukee this week. We had a class up there, and um, we had about seven inches of snow. And yesterday, the day before, it was snowing. But those are some tough-ass people up there. I said to them, uh, you know, it's snowing pretty good. Does anybody need to leave early or anything? They, they looked at me like, no, we're cool. This is fine. This ain't nothing. We've seen this before, Rob. Okay? We, we know it snows. It was awesome, man. We never missed a beat. Okay, so for the benefit of our listening audience, for anybody that doesn't know Lenny Hall, I'm just going to go over a couple things here. Um, uh, Lenny is the owner of Endurance Hardwood Floors down there in uh, in uh, Miami, Florida. You're, Miami, you're close to? I say Miami because people really don't know where I'm at. It's uh, Between Miami and Fort Lauderdale is a little tiny community. My location is it, and I work all the way down to Key Largo, which is the tip of the continental United States, and I go as far north within the state of Florida as the money will take me. So, I, but I'm usually kept within the five counties of Monroe, Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, and Martin counties. That's really where the bulk of my work is at. Gotcha. Fair enough. And um, so, Lenny, uh, you know, uh, has to me done a really service, a great service to this industry. I think a lot of guys. I think you shortened the learning curve for a lot of a lot of craftsmen, Lenny, uh, with your instructions and teachings. And Lenny's been an instructor for well, he's been in teaching schools at the NWFA. I, gosh, that seems like it goes back 20 years. And I know you recently you recently become a regional instructor. Is that correct? Yeah, the regional instructor program is the newer version of the program that we did. And I started back in 1997, uh, along with the likes of Daniel Boone and Wayne Lee. Um, Tom Piotr and all the old gang that was going around teaching at the bottom of hotel conference rooms and that sort of thing. Uh, those were the good old beginning days of teaching. <clears throat> and now it's a bit more uh, structured, and uh, I think the, the, the ability to teach guys is more focused on specific tasks at hand. So if you're a floor sanding specialist, you can go to just the floor sanding only focus schools. If you're an installer, go to install schools. But if you do both, go to all of them. Yeah. And I know, you know, and I, I'm going to say this again, because uh, I mean this. Uh, I mean, when I say that you shorten the learning curve for a lot of a lot of uh, contractors and craftsmen, and you've really given a lot of your time and uh, and knowledge. And I know you've got a lot of good stuff out there in your Instagram videos and um, and and uh, through the your work with the NWFA. So uh, just uh, commend you on that, Lenny. Um, but we're. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about something else. But but I have to say this, though, before we get off of this uh, training thing. Um, whenever I think of you, Lenny, I, I think of a, a scene in the movie uh, from Wayne's World. And with Mike Myers. 
And the reason I say that is because Lenny, I, Lenny I really apologize for this kind of thing. You really, <laughs> you, you just don't know where he's going with this. So just stay well, with us. Stay with me here. Stay with him. All right. So uh, Lenny was a lead instructor at our, one of our Bona expert schools uh, that we do. And um, at the beginning of the class, Lenny says, okay, listen guys, so this is, this class is yours. Whatever you want to do, you want to bend wood, you want to, you want to, work with metals, you want to do ceruzing, whatever kind of just out-of-the-box things you've never got a chance to do, we're going to do that today. So why don't we um, why don't we just go uh, put on the board what you guys want to do. So let's go around the room. And the first guy said, uh, I'd like to do a herringbone floor. And he said, no, no herringbone. <laughs> and <it> remi- <laughs> Anything but herringbone. And it reminded me of this scene in Wayne's World where they started to play the guitar in the music shop, and he stopped and said, hey, no stairway to heaven. <laughs> And so I'm just going to say real quick, too, I, I finally got a chance to go down to your, meet you in your shop. And, um, you know, I've known of you for a long time. And, and uh, I thought, well, this is going to be an interesting trip to come down there and watch you, you know, you know, see you in your shop. I knew you're working on it. at that time, another floor of the year. Um, I know you won your first floor of the year in 1996 and you've gone on to win five total. And uh, you were working on another one at the time. And I thought, oh, this is going to be kind of nice to talk to Lenny and how much passion he has about the trade and what have you. And I was half right, Lenny. Uh, you were passionate. Only but, half. Uh, <laughs> I was only half right. You were passionate, but what you wanted to talk about was your family. And uh, and uh, you talked about your wife, Una, and Ryan, and Kate, and Jess, and, and their progress, and how they're doing in the world. And yeah, it was pretty cool, because I try to steer the conversation toward hardwood floors, but you want to talk about your family's accomplishments. So I thought that was a, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty neat uh, trip for me. Yeah, I'm really proud of my family. Uh, I, I'm a, the proud father of four children, Katie, Ryan, Ian, and Jessica. And Jessica's the only one at home now. The other three have uh, gotten out of high school, gone into or already done with college and onto their careers. So, And they're becoming outstanding citizens of the world, and I'm really proud of them. So that's it's something I'm, I always will take with me everywhere I go, and I'd rather talk about them than anything else. Yeah, I, 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 for the life of me, I couldn't steer the conversation back to floors, so I got it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep, we'll keep it on floors for this one, or at least something related to floors, anyway. All right, so what we're going to talk about today, I thought, Lenny, I said, you, you know, Lenny, you've, you've seen the whole gambit, you know, uh, in your career, uh, you've had very large shops and worked with a lot of employees, and and you, I know you've scaled down, so I want to just thought I'd get your thoughts, or we'd get your thoughts on. Um, uh, you know, managing people, uh, working with employees, and 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 that that uh, down that vein. How's that? Yeah, sounds good. So, where are you at now? At one time, um, I mean, you had multiple multiple crews out there, and and uh, I don't think you do anymore. And maybe kind of talk about the challenges of both and and your thought process there. Yeah, to get you where I was to where I am. Let me tell you how it started. Um, I was actually an apprentice at Endurance Floor Company for the summer of 1979 and the summer of 1980 when I was in high school still. And I didn't go to high school down in Florida. I actually went to high school in upstate New York. Uh, But my parents had moved down to Florida while I was still finishing high school. And so I contrived the plan with my best friend that I would live with his family, which we did, and stayed up there, finished my high school career. Uh, Came down to Florida during 
during the summers, and I worked at Endurance Floor Company as a gopher. I was literally just a, a you know, sweeper, cleaner, go-getter, this, that, the other thing. And, and my dad and my uncle were two floor technicians at the company. So come upon uh, running out of money in college, I called up my old man. And I said, hey, Dad, ask if the owner will let me work there for a year or so so I can earn money to go back to school. And uh, the, the owner said, yeah. So I worked in Endurance full-time. From the December of 2000, uh, sorry, 18, 1982, all the way to 1984, for almost two years, and by the end of that, that's what that's what the really crazy twist of fate that life has for you came upon me. The owner wanted to retire, but he didn't want to give the company to his kids, so he said, "If I give you the company, would you just continue paying my building rent for the rest of my life?" And the end result was yes, and here I am now. At the time, the shop had. Uh, 18, 20 employees. Uh, I grew it to about 40, uh, about the mid-90s, late-90s, and uh, started having kids at home. Katie was born in 96. Uh, and so then it started to become, let's not work 90 hours a week anymore. So I started making the company smaller and uh, got it pared down to what I'm currently today, which is a shop of between 8 and 10 guys throughout the year and uh, just do only high-end work. So, Lenny, uh, for me, you know, owning a business, it's it's so hard to to let go and and uh, and turn some of these projects, especially this project you guys are on, over to employees. You know, um, I, sometimes as the owner, you get the sense of, well, I have to be there every time, and and I have to be the one that does this, and I, you know, it's a scary deal. So, how do you manage that part of it? That's a it's not an easy one answer question, but. Um... The, the, the baseline is this. If you're owning or running a company and you have to be on top of your people every minute of every day to make sure stuff gets done, there's two things that are wrong with that scenario. One, either your guys aren't well trained, or two, you don't have the right guy that you can trust, even if he's not well trained, to do good for you. And that's that all comes upon the owner. And the, and the guy who owns his shop... Uh, needs to commit to be the best trained individual himself in the other guys he has working for him that would work as if that was him doing the work. And that's really where I get asked all the time, how do I go out and teach 10 to 12 classes a year uh, away from my home and still run a business? And that's because all my guys know through my training of them that their expectations are extremely high and have to commit to that high expectation. There's there is no there's no do it half half. I was gonna say half assed Can I say that? Half assed <laughs> in our company. You have to do well, it on the podcast, or it doesn't get done. On the podcast, Wayne is the only one allowed to swear. If you didn't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> so. So training, Lenny. So uh, do you, you make a conscious conscious effort then to uh, do you put time aside for doing these training uh, days with your guys, or how does that work? Okay, it's a combination of a few things. Um, usually, it's an opportunistic training. That is, something comes up, a particular aspect of a project, or some some part of another job might come along where I want to train everybody all at once for this particular event. And I recall this, um, and and. My training is open to anybody. As a matter of fact, I invited a uh, um, another uh, sales rep from another company to come with us on one day that we were laying out this parquet pattern and 
order detail on a job site. And my crew that was going to run the installation on that job was just going to be two guys. But I brought everybody, the entire company, to what we call our Monday morning meeting at that job site. And from about 9 o'clock to 1.30, all we did was just talk about how this job was going to get laid out, where the measurements came from, how they're going to lay out so that the parquet is going to Exactly point to point, half tile to half tile at all the border details, doorways, how it's centered down this room, how it's going to be transitioning to this other area. And, and we just did the whole day, trammel points, squaring, diagonaling, everything. That was like a little mini layout class for the entire company. And then the other six guys drifted off to where they had to go. And mind you, the guys whose jobs they were, the jobs that they were on were already told in advance that we were going to take that Monday, reserve it for a training day, and not one client complained that we weren't at their house. You know why? Oh. Because they know we invest so much time into our men and their training that they're happy that they are going to get the best people in their house. That's, that's impressive. So, so I, I so have, go ahead, Rob. So it sounds like you're, you're more of a trainer, but it's also more of a, you're teaching your guys, but you're leading by example. And I know in sports and stuff, some of the best captains on a team, are the guys who are the first in and the last out leading by example rather than just telling people what to do? Yeah, I'm the type of business owner who gets is on his knees and gets his hands dirty. And uh, not, not that every business owner has to do that. I mean, there's some great businesses that are run by guys who can, you know, manipulate the administrative side of things better than anything else. That doesn't mean you can't be at least knowledgeable enough to have good technicians and train your good technicians. So I would think that uh, any business, you want to make sure all your people at whatever position they're in or whatever level they're on are getting the best training for that particular individual. And and so in that case, I was telling you about the, the whole group thing. If I hire a new employee, I can tell you that that new employee is going to go out with my lead guy, but they're going to be given a certain set of tasks to do that day. And those tasks are going to be supervised, completely supervised. They're not going to be just, you know, hand a manager and go to that room and turn it on. They're going to be spending probably 30 minutes to 45 minutes on edger theory, just the theory of how to run an edger, not even the, the things that ain't plugged in yet, just how it runs the sandpaper on the floor, what mineral you select, what paper you select, what grit you're going to use, how you're going to attack the room, what corner to start in, where to end in, how to blend it in. All that stuff starts for like 30 to 45 minutes. Then we turn the machine on. Now, I know from experience, and I've seen it, the other guys will just grab a, grab a machine, tell the guy, turn it on and go, and I'll see you later, figure it out. That's wrong. Oh, gosh, I can think of the amount of hours I've gone over the exact same thing with Rob. So anyhow, <laughs> so uh, Lenny, there's a lot of guys that, and I remember, you know, especially back in 2000, 2000 you know, when the, the early 2000s, I talked to a lot of guys that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a one to three man shop, and I want to grow. Maybe I want to have a retail presence and I want to maybe have five or eight guys. Can you talk about that growing pains? Because that's a big leap from going to one to three man shop now to managing five and six and seven guys. And it takes you out of the field more. And I know you've gone through that uh, early in your career. So maybe you could talk about that. Sure. Um, as, the, as the guy who does everything company, uh, the, one of the hardest things is to do is to let go. You have to just understand that you are going to be 100% of your capability all the time because it's your company and that's what you do. Anybody you hire, you're going to be lucky if they get the 70%. Anything over that's a bonus. Anything below that's got to be dealt with. And if you can manage with 70% 
and understand that, look, that's just how it's going to be if I want to do two jobs at the same time, that this guy's only going to be 70%, but his 70% is going to be better than everybody else out there, then you're doing good, you know, because my guys, I can tell you, as good as I train them, they're not me, and they're not ever going to be me, and I have to accept the fact that they're never going to be at that that level of craziness precision that I am, but they do work so good that it just dusts everybody else out that nobody can compete with them as far as quality of work. So that's what you need to do. You need to allow the fact that you have to distance yourself from your expectations of being exactly you to not being exactly you. Okay. So that brings up another question to me is, um, okay. So you're Lenny Hall and uh, you got an Instagram presence. You have, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's easy to find who you are. And so I'm sure your your clients are excited to work with you. How 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 do you get around them? Not you know you're not on every job. You can't be on every job. And how do you get around that? Oh, I'll tell you a funny story about that. I actually signed a contract three years ago for a client in the house that was an hour and a half away from the shop. And uh, first day rolls up to the job site. Here comes Carlton and Jimmy. They're they're driving to the job site. They got all the material ready to start covering the wall units with plastic and everything. And I get a phone call. Hey, I thought you were coming today. I said, well, we are there. They're, they're getting ready to prep the house out for installation. She goes, no, I thought you were coming. I said, no, no, they're, they're going to do the work. She goes, well, I hired you. I said, no, you hired Endurance Floor Company. That's who's doing the work. I may run the company. I may supervise the guys. I'll train the guys. But I'm not doing every or any inch of your house but you will be satisfied at the end. That's basically how the conversation went because she was getting adversarial about the fact that I personally wasn't going to be there. And I said, no, no, don't worry about it. We're okay. And we actually got through the job okay. It was amazing because I was not aware of that issue during our whole pre-job conversation that she expected only me to do the work. That being said, here's here's really where you have to be with your clients and with your employees. There's got to be a full-on double what I call a double funnel communication that is your guys tell you everything it goes through you and it comes out the other end to all the clients in the world and then it comes from the clients in the world back through you to the guys there's never that you know skirt around conversation where the owner calls your installer and your installer hears from the owner what they might or might not want done and you're totally out of the loop that's not good communication in my opinion for what you want to do and then as far as the confidence that the owners have I show them something that I call the end of day update. It's a uh, end end of day update is an acronym of E O D and U, and that is something that we do at our company using our smartphone technology. That my guys document the job, if not at the end of the day, sometimes through the day, as certain aspects are being done or being completed, especially if they're success critical with the job in in relation to what the job is going to be like later on, uh, self-leveling, whether it's going to be uh, tear-up transition issues. And so they'll document, and then they'll give me a brief description of what is going on or what has happened in that photograph. So I'll get daily updates from my guys every day when I'm in there or not in there at their job site. And, I, and it happens all the time. So I'm basically virtually at the job site every day. And I show that to clients. like, look, I'm going to be here in 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 spirit because my guys are showing me what they're doing every day and i know every day what they're going to be doing the next day and the next day and the next day i said you're you're covered we have good communication so it gives comfort to the clients to know that you're on top of things not being there you know there's no need to micromanage a job site if your guys are well trained enough i don't need to tell them you know use this grid of paper i don't need to tell them to use you know those boards in that room i don't need to tell them to separate their joints so far they're already well trained to do that and again to my initial comment earlier, 
if you didn't train your guys properly to do that and you're micromanaging them, you'll never be able to grow. So, Lenny, if you if you got five guys out on the job on a large guy, I imagine you have a lead guy. Is that the way you worked it out? And if that's the case, what expect, expectations do you put on him to manage the other guys? The largest jobs we get into has no more than four guys on it uh, because we tell clients we're not a production company. We're going to take our time. We're going to do our work at our pace, and it is what it is. If you want a six-week job done in three weeks, we're not your company. And and I established myself with a, uh, a, a manner of authority but kindness to explain to them, this is how you get a very high-end job done well. You don't rush through it. You take all the steps, all the precautions, all the necessary measures to make sure that the job is as best as humanly possible, and it's just not rushed. Um, and so I don't really have to mount a bunch of guys on a job site. Most of most all of our jobs are run with two or three guys at a time, and sometimes it's just one guy. Like this last week, we had Andre uh, installing a wainscot up a staircase. That's that's a one-guy job. He doesn't need three or four guys there to do that. So it varies by the job as to how many people are on there. But everybody who's there, before they're given the lead position, has been well-trained enough that other than the administrative side of things, which a lot of guys who are good installers don't like, are dealing with the customers or talking to customers, you know, they're, they're great at their craft. They could be their own individual floor company. But and I'm never worried about them leaving because they don't like to do that other stuff that I do for them. That is, get the jobs, get, get the commitments with the clients, uh, deal with all of the logistics back and forth. You know, it happens in the middle of the job. You know, contractors are in our way. They didn't move the furniture. That's my job. I deal with all the administrative stuff which doesn't take all day. And then when I'm done with that, I go out and play with them. I get dirty. I get all dusty. I love it. For guys that, um, you know, let's say I, I'm a lead guy. I'm working for somebody, and I think I want to start my own business. And a lot of guys, Lenny, think that, you know, I'm, I'm a good sander. I'm a good finisher. I'm a good installer. So, yeah, gosh, I, I, I should start my own business. A whole lot more to it than that, isn't there? Yeah. I actually have two uh, very good former employees, long-term friends that had gone out in 1994 on their own. They went out as a pair. In a year and a half, the pair split up because they couldn't take it from each other. They each thought each other was doing less work than the other one, and that's the typical animosity that happens amongst teammate workers that try to go out on their own, is that they never think the other guy's pulling off their own weight. But they ended up surviving that issue, and they ended up having their own smaller little separate companies. And uh, But they still contact me when they're uh, needing materials that they need at the last minute or they have a question about a job or an issue with a client, how do they handle it. So I never, I never distance myself from anybody who wants to leave and do it on their own. Frankly, that's why America is such a great country is that you have those opportunities to do so, and I encourage it. Um, I just make it a point that if you stick with me, you'll be considered one of the best technicians on the planet in this area. You will never be without work. I will always have work for you, and you will always be able to take you know, home money for your family and, and do well. And so they either can work for me or they go work on their own. But when they're on their own, you know, it's always a different battle. Now you're talking about trying to get money from clients, trying to convince clients that you're as equal as you used to be when you were part of Endurance Floor Company. Um, and usually that doesn't fly very well. Yeah, it's interesting. Rob and I are going through some of those same growing pains on this podcast about, you know, the amount of work that each of us does. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. There, There's the bell. There you go. <laughs> so, Lenny, uh, another thing I wanted to ask you. You know, Lenny, that's funny you were talking about that because I had the same exact conversation with Wayne's brothers. 
after <laughs> Wayne left, how uh, they, everybody just started the work was flowing better, the money was better. It was, um, you know, it's just sometimes you gotta, you gotta cut some dead weight loose, you know. Hey, those fishing poles are expensive, man. Well, let me tell you, I have gone through employees. That's one thing that we haven't talked about, but that's typical of any company. Is you hire people. How do you know you're going to get a good one or not? And you actually don't ever know. You 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 hire based on recommendations from other people. You hire based on an application that you put out, uh, or sorry, an advertisement you put out, and or they fill out an application. But until you actually get them on the field and actually spend some quality time one-on-one with them on the field, you don't know who they are as a person. You don't know how they can be trusted if they were alone. You don't know if they are uh, going to be putting the company's interest ahead of their own personal interest. And, and actually, that is a two-way learning curve. So a lot of a lot of people who go out to get work don't understand that those are the parameters that lead to success. When you put the company in front of your own personal wants, when you put pride and quality of work before time at four o'clock to leave, uh, when you put those things in play first, then you're a better character and then you become a better employee. So as a, as a guy who's hired and fired people uh, all these years, I've got, I've got a four drawer filing cabinet, A to Z, full of everybody that I have ever had hired and has left the company some from, you know, time in their life, they're 60, they're going to retire or whatever. Others from, like, you don't work here anymore because you're not good enough uh, type of thing. And and I just keep going through it. It's a revolving door. I just keep hiring new guys all year long, hire one, hire two, and just see if they're going to fit the mold. And sometimes they'll supplant another one. And I'll tell another guy, hey, look, you know, after all these years you've been here, but you've never gotten past, say, this grade of quality of work, I just hired another guy who's after six months has already surpassed you Here's the situation. If we don't have enough work, you're going to be the first person sent home, and I'm that frank about it. I'm running the company's guys like it's a sports franchise. If there's a better player out there, they will take your first first uh, first place. Best players play. Yep, and I, I think you can spot a guy, Lenny, as an apprentice. And to me, it's it's attitude and willingness to learn and take direction. And I think if you got that guy, but not a lot of skill, you, you got something really nice to work with to build them up. Yeah, skill is always something can be taught. I, I was, you know, now you said I shortened people's learning curves. My learning curve was horrible. I had nobody to teach me uh, up to the point of where we were in Dirt Sport Company in 81, 82. They were just doing basic vinyl, ceramic tile. Um, some straight two and a quarter inch and a half strip installs. Maybe we throw a crazy like three quarter inch walnut feature strip in a job. And for us at that time, that was like, wow, big job. Uh, but, but I changed that in the five years of 84 to 89 to be exclusively only a high end wood floor company. And so that, that initial transition years had me get rid of guys that had been with the company for 15, 20 years because they, they did not want to grow with the change of the company. They just did not want to get any better than being mediocre. And I just was not going to take mediocre as an answer. That's just, you can't be mediocre and be the best. There's no such thing. Well, you, you bring something to mind that I, I have to ask you before this, we, we finish this podcast, because, you know, you, you bid on some really custom, custom jobs. And um, how do you, how do you, that's a that's a daunting task putting a number to uh to to a fabulous herringbone with borders and and you know feet to strip and all these radius curves and all this you know custom sanding and staining jobs you do so how do you go about and and that alone for someone to grow and to think all right I love to do this custom job but uh, but 
but putting the bid together, I always say it's you can't outwork a bad bid. And if you can, it ain't any fun anyhow. So how do you go about that bidding process and not being afraid to charge for what you're worth? All right. Well, in my early days, it wasn't like that. My early days of trying to do this custom work was trying to figure out exactly what you're saying. How do I figure out how much this is going to be able to be sold for? The same question is how much is this going to cost me to do? And so as much as I could be analytical step-by-step, piece-by-piece, break it down on a piece of paper and figure out how many hours and whatever, I would compare what I put on paper to do the bid, and then I would track everything while the job was done. I'd be able to compare sheet A to sheet B and see where I messed up and didn't account for enough hours for one thing or, oh, it's going to take three times as much material because all the walnut we buy, half of it's got sapwood in it and we don't use sapwood in this design. So you learn by keeping track of these things. At least that's how I did back in the early days. After a couple of years of repetitively killing myself and losing money and not, and here's the other thing. I have made enough mistakes that people would, if they, if they knew the dollar value of the mistakes, they would not want to be in the floor business because they would be too frightened to take that leap and jump. Me, I didn't care. I figured if I lost it on this job, I learned something, I'll make it up on the next one. And here's a case in point. I hope she's not listening to this podcast, but one of my favorite clients, <laughs> I'm going to just call her Pat. Her name is Pat. She was my first floor of the year winner. Uh, so at least you'll know the job, right? So I do the job, and I, I never did that design before ever in my entire life. But I analyzed it. I broke it down. I figured it out. I said, this is the number for the job. And she's like, okay. So I do the job. But I realized after my second weekend, like, oh, my God, this is going to cost me freaking loads more money. But I'm in. I'm committed. I got to do everything I can to make this thing the best cool job ever, which I did. And then a couple years later, she sells that apartment and moves into another house, calls me and says, Lenny, I want you to do another floor like that for me, but something different. I said, okay, fine. We go through the conversation. I do the initial drawings. She asks me how much that is. I say, it's this number. She goes, whoa, how come it's so much more than the other one? I said, Pat, I learned a lot on the first one. And she looks at me with a little wry smile. and She goes, I understand. No problem. And that's it. You know, she gave, so yeah, you learn, you learn by, by repeat and analysis, but the learning curve is shortened for guys that go to these classes now especially the higher, more advanced level classes yeah. where we have these conversations, not necessarily within the classroom setting, but, you know, before hours, after hours, on breaks. And, you know, plus, you know, people can reach out to me and I'll help them out as best I can for what their talent level is and what their clients' needs are. Um, one of one of my uh, uh, students, uh, and I would call a friend, uh, Jason Vivash, did that uh, one uh, design that was featured in the uh, uh, Woodford Business Magazine, yeah. and he called me about that border detail, and we sat and talked like 30 minutes on the phone. I explained to him, this is how you best attack that most effectively and efficiently, and he went and executed, and he came out great. He came out like roses. Instead of him trying to learn and, and fail and learn and fail and learn and fail, you know, we communicate with each other in this whole industry. Call Joshua Crossman in Seattle. Call yeah. Kyle Nero, call somebody, call people who you know may or have may have this experience, and then you can learn from everybody all at the same time. I, I think this is the, one of the greatest things of our trade, and certainly one of the. Rob and I talk this about about this a lot. Uh, one of the the neat part about our jobs is we get to get to meet so many great craftsmen and floormen in this trade. There's some phenomenal people, and um, yeah. the amount of guys that are willing to share. And I'll tell you, anytime you get a chance to go to a class and the NWFA and the, all these classes, some people say, well, you know, it's, it's a money and expense. And I totally get that. I live in the real world, too. 
but man, the learning curve and what you can learn and what people are willing to share. Uh, I'll never get over that, uh, how kind some, some of these guys are with their knowledge. One of the best things I see at our schools when the school is over, I mean, we've all, everybody's in the brotherhood now. There's a lot of great camaraderie and everything. But before a lot of the students go their own separate ways, they'll start exchanging numbers between each other and they want to stay in touch with each other and they want to help each other out and everything. So, yeah, it's a, it is a definite, uh, very cool part of our business, the brotherhood. In the school setting is not only for the students to learn from, but as an instructor, you get the opportunity to meet 10, 15, 20 guys all at once that have had different experiences, different uh, job site occurrences, different things that they've had to overcome, and you figure out how they've tweaked and worked it out. I remember, hey, Rob, you remember this. We were up in uh, Philadelphia and doing the, uh, the school up there, and uh, you were showing the, um, uh, the, I think it was Nordic Seal, right, wasn't it? And uh, I said, when you're, when you're nearly done with that panel, bro, just give me the stick. I'll back it out. And uh, so I backed it out for you, and you told me that was worth the price of admission right there. <laughs> First time I ever saw a, a human walk on water. <laughs> and Bone, Bone, is still, Bone is still scared to let me show that how to back out of a room by walking on the water. They're like, uh, no, nah, not yet, not yet. It's a single stroke. There's no stop marks. It's absolutely perfect. You got to get your feet wet. You got to get your feet wet first. So that's the key. Okay. You got to load the shoes up. So Lenny, um, you know, in my travels, you talk to guys and, and I'm sure we all have that, you know, five years in the trade, they know it all and they shut it down and they've, they've learned what, you know, they figure they need to learn. Sometimes it's 10 years. Sometimes it's guy says, you know what? I've been doing this 20 years, man. I know everything there is to know. Are you still learning? Oh Yeah. Every day. And you never know where it comes from. I mean, uh, I was at a place in Poland doing a, uh, some work over there for a week. And this guy uh, showed me that, that he was using fishing line to pull the boards out from the glue that he set it in because he wasn't sure if it was going to fit right or not. So he took fishing line, stuck it underneath the panel, glued it in, looked at it, didn't like it, pulled on the fishing line. And then that's it. When he got done, he just he just yanked the fishing line out from under the panel, and it, and it was done. I'm like, that's freaking brilliant. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you, you never know. You never know where you're going to learn stuff from. Very cool. So, Lenny, we talk about the challenges in the business and, and, and growing your business and employees and that kind of stuff. For for guys that, you know, that paperwork isn't my strong suit and, and, and you know, doing all the uh, that clerical part of the job. What, what would you say to that? I mean, you, you hire that part of it out, but that's money that you're spending out. So, and we all know there, I, I tell people that, you know, you can be a fan, you could turn out fantastic jobs. I mean, best jobs in, in town and go bankrupt. So how do you handle that part of the business? Uh, I, I'm like 99.9% .9 of all the other guys. I don't like doing the paperwork side either. I, I actually have to dedicate a set time every week to do, and I do it in batches. So I don't, uh, I don't try to hit it like three minutes here and five minutes there. I just wait until I can get everything done at the end of a week or at the end of two weeks, maybe. And I just do everything all at one time. I just like set it all up. I go, okay, these are all the invoices I got to write checks for. These are all the jobs I got to bill out for. These are all the materials I got to assign 
between all the jobs, and I just do everything in batch work. So I, 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 I corral it into the shortest amount of time possible because I don't like it. And then I go back out and I go play. So it's got to be done. You, you can't you can't ignore it. Uh, you can't just go on and, and think you're doing okay. Uh, you got to look at it all the time. And, and trust me, even to this day, there are jobs that I take on that because I am such a crazy, got to be perfect kind of guy, I will force my guys to do work that most everybody would say was okay. And I don't want to use the word force like they're being coerced, but I tell them, hey, look, we're going to do it like this. We're going to do it like this. And I mean, yes, sure, we're refinishing this floor. And there was like, you know, four red oak boards in the floor that I didn't see when they removed that cabinet. But we're going to change those four red oak boards into white oak boards. And we're going to spot stand and finish them in or do whatever, because I know it's going to be our name on that job. And if it costs me an extra three hundred or a thousand dollars more to do something, I'll do it just to make sure that the client's experience is so good that they can't but talk good about us at any function, any event, because essentially here's what you have. You only have what the clients talk to you, talk about you to go forward with. If the client can't talk to you at a, at a banquet, at a family function, or at a soccer game, that your company did this, that, and the other thing that was the best thing since sliced bread, then you're not winning. you got to have that reputation that you are just leaving it better than they've ever paid for for it and even at the high prices i charge they still will say that was a deal yep well let me ask you one of the things that we try to really preach in the schools is charging the money that you're talking about charging really good money but you also charge that money so you have time to do that kind of work that's the whole deal people are afraid to charge that money but more and more you're seeing, well, those people that you charge that money to, they know other people like that. And the thing that I constantly hit in the schools is you want to be the guy. When somebody is talking about floors and one of your clients is in the room, they're going to walk up and say, hey, I got a guy. And that's, I think, what we're all trying to strive to do. Rob, Rob, you hit hit something that I'm going to say is, is an absolute universal truth. I have never worked for another floor guy. I have worked for people who make a lot more money than I do. And that's the thing. If you can keep working for people that make more money than you do, they hang out with people that make more money than you do. They don't hang out with floor guys or anybody else. They're not hanging out with Wayne. <laughs> no, but that's true. There's a there's a there's a status that people hang out with people of like ilk. And if if you got, you know, guys making, you know, seven figures because they're, you know, Morgan Stanley or, or you know, stock traders or whatever, or they're doctors or lawyers, they're going to hang out with other people of the same kind of money. And that's the people who you want to have your conversation about when they're talking to people. So uh, word of mouth is, you know, I see guys, you know, doing social media uh, advertising and doing all this stuff. Sure, you may have to do that to get your presence out there, but ultimately that's not what's going to win the win the war. What wins the war is making sure that every client leaves with such a good story about you that they cannot help but tell people when they run into somebody else that you were that good. And then the work, the work just starts coming. I've, I've been at endurance now 37 years, 34, of which I've been running the company. And I can tell you for sure that at some point that become that word of mouth becomes a super burden. And, and the burden is that there can be so much word of mouth. You can't get to everybody. And then, then you start picking and choosing which jobs you really, really want, which jobs you can like, hey, can you wait three weeks? We're almost done with this one over here. And you start managing the overflow. And that's where I've been for the last 10 years. Is- that is the same. That is unbelievable because that is exactly what we tell the students. 
that referral money isn't how much that referral money is when can you get here. Money is not the subject. They know what it's going to cost by the time they're asking for that. They, they, they've talked to their friends. They know. But it's can you get Just like here. when they buy a Maserati. You think their buddies that bought the Maserati is going to ask the other guy, oh, well, how much was that Maserati? Exactly. That was $185,000. Well, you know what? His buddy's going to go out and buy the freaking next level Ferrari just to be better than the Maserati guy. Right. <laughs> they're, all, they're all in competition with each other. I don't care what people say. They're all in competition to outdo their friends. And that's where, as a floor guy, oh, man, it's just like fishing in a barrel, literally. And I, and I don't mean to see this bad. Like I said, I don't take advantage of people. They're willing to pay me. An incredible amount of money. I, I just uh, I just talked this over. I don't know if it's going to get cut out or not, but I just did a contract that they sent me the deposit for. The job is $45,000. The job size is a 500-square-foot bedroom. The wood wow. material is nothing outrageous. It's an Australian cypress with brown stain on it. But here's, wow. here's where most of that money comes from. They want it done by November 15th. It's on Fisher Island, which is an exclusive island off of the coast of Miami. You can only get on and off by ferry, and the whole room has got probably this like 150 or 200 dollars square foot fabric wallpaper on it that I've got to protect completely without touching it. Wow! So the service is there. It's all service money. Yeah. It's not material money. It's not buy a bundle of wood, add a dollar a square foot to it. This is service money. They're buying a service for me, yep. and I'm gonna commit to get that done in the next 14 days. So when they fly in from California, they open their door. The room's done, and the next thing they do is they're talking to their buddies, whoever they're flying to next. This is what this guy did for me, and he did an outstanding job. Next. That's a that's a great place to end this. I got just got one more question for you, then, Lenny. So so you're not going to go back to break break dancing and DJing anytime soon, huh? No, unfortunately, I've reached the age limit where that is just not a viable option anymore. <laughs> okay, a lot of people don't know you uh, you did that for a while. Back in my 20s, I was a breakdance instructor. I taught at uh, two different dance schools, and um, I did that while working at Endurance Floor Company. So I worked for like uh, eight, ten-hour days at Endurance, and then at night, I was a breakdance teacher three times a week. And that's how you and Rob met, I understand. Hey, hey listen, Lenny, Lenny, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I would love to get you back on uh, top, uh, talk about uh, another topic or two down the road, but I want to thank you for your time. This has been another episode of On the Floor with Wayne Highlander and Rob Johnson. Please stay tuned for another episode.